are back to Philippians 3. I won't... I went back and forth on this, but I, we're just going to finish this lesson I started last week, and uh, I was I thought about moving on to another aspect of rejoicing, um, but I wanted I wanted to just go ahead and deal with this. I I spent a pretty good time amount of time studying on it, so I wanted to go ahead and deliver it, so I didn't know when another opportunity I would have to do it. So. We have been studying systematically through the epistle of Philippians on seeing this word rejoice, rejoice or joy, and um, we have been studying that word throughout it, and uh, we have been expositionally defining it, seeing it, uh, and uh, taking it apart, and seeing where it is, and what it means, and all the different aspects of this word rejoice. And you'll be rejoicing when I get done talking about rejoicing. So um, uh, we've got a few more of these passages to deal with. Um, in 4.4, you know very well, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what? Rejoice. Um, this passage we're dealing with tonight in Philippians 3.3 3 is um, a little bit different, though, if you recall from last time that we were together. If not, I'll just briefly bring you up to date. The word here that we're finding is found in Philippians 3.3, 3, and we read, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That word rejoice there is translated in our King James Bibles oftentimes as the word glory or is translated boast or boasting. It is the idea of glorying in the Lord. And last time we were together, we saw that obviously we should not glory in ourselves, but we saw some ways in which we do glory in ourselves, in which we do boast ourselves. We can maybe do it in the flesh. Um, and one of the key examples that we use was the Corinthian church. In First and Second Corinthians, you find that they gloried in many things, and he tells them not to glory in their flesh, not to glory in men, ministry, authority, yourself, and so on. And he's telling them to not do these things. In fact, that wasn't it. They, he, in fact, he went on to tell them, don't boast in your leaders, your baptisms, your Lord's suppers, your wisdom, your knowledge, your riches. Don't boast in yourselves. Don't even boast in your work for the Lord uh, because it's not even you that's doing it. It's God that's doing it through you. So you name it, the Corinthian church boasted in it. Uh, but there are positive ways to, to boast, and we saw some of those too. And uh, we saw some ways in which to do that. There are positive ways. Uh, there are, there, and what we found last time was that there are, these two are actually set up side by side in many places. Like in James chapter number 4, he tells them not to boast in tomorrow. Like Proverbs says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, you know, don't know what's going to happen. Amen. Uh, that happened. That just happened to me this week. I had plans, I had schedule, had everything uh, ready to go, and uh, it turns out that uh, we weren't able to go. Uh, so you've just got to say the positive side. You boast not in your will. You boast in who? 
the Lord. That's right. You boast in Lord and the, and the Lord's will and what God's going to do. And you say, well, God had us change plans and there was a reason for that. And you know, not every time do we see the reason behind that, why God did that. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you might be able to go, oh, well, I see why God did that. But there's going to be many times and you're not going to be able to do that. You know, that's why a lot of times you might hear someone say, well, maybe the Lord does this protecting us from a car wreck or something. We don't know what God was doing, all right? But we know that God wasn't in it because God didn't allow it. And so we don't need to be frustrated and upset about it. Amen? So uh, then don't boast in it. Don't say, well, I'm going to do this and uh, I'm going to do that and put it in your calendar and mark it down. And uh, I've preached on this many a times, but I'll just say this real fast is that I feel like sometimes as Americans, we can put things in the calendar and we live every single day for that day up to that day for that day. You understand what I'm saying? We put something in the calendar for February the 1st, and we live every single day for that one day instead of every living every single day for that day, for the Lord. We're making preparation for that day that may never come, and we're living for that one day, February the 1st, or whatever day it is. And, uh, and you know, there's only one exception for that. Weddings, okay? All right, guys, all right? So, uh, so uh, your ladies are like, yes, yeah, all right. Uh, but uh, there's no, oh, there is a, a single lady in here. So, but yeah, there's only one exception. Um, Galatians talks about that there's circumcision and the flesh. He says, don't boast in that. Don't boast in your flesh. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Uh, we've looked at Romans 5.2, and we've seen also in 11, uh, don't boast in your self-righteousness, boast in the Lord. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 18, uh, talks about not boasting in your authority, but boasting in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord. In fact, let's just read that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, and verse number 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses number 17 and 18, real quickly. And uh, just so you've got a good, good basis on where we're going at, where you can see the negative side of glorying and the positive side of it. So, all right, uh, here we go. Verse number 17. Are you ready? Say amen. amen. All right. He says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the what? The Lord, that word glory is the word rejoice that's translated for us in Philippians 3, 3, okay? For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. He's talking about authority there in that particular place. If you go back through the context, he's talking about our, 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 we don't boast without measure and all these kinds of things. He's not talking, to, he's talking about their authority in Christ. And he's saying, uh, it's not, it's not me. I don't glory in this, all right? You glory in the Lord. In the Lord. And um, so everything we have with God, our, our sanctification, our justification, our glorification, it all stands in Jesus Christ. And I don't think there's any problem with that. None of us have any issues with that uh, tonight. Uh, but some do. Some do. And uh, we've got to be uh, sure and steadfast and say, you know, we're standing on the Lord. Right? We're not standing on anything else. We're standing on God. We're standing on God. We're standing on Christ. Uh, Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other uh, ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. But I wanted to go back to Philippians 3.3. 3. 
And I wanted to uh, notice what he says there about midway through the verse. Something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but has a lot of meaning in the scriptures. And he says here in verse number three, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Now that word circumcision is a play on words off the word that he just said in verse number two, when he writes, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision or the mutilation of the flesh. And uh, he says, but we are the circumcision. Um, The word concision means to cut at or to cut off, uh, literally. Uh, And the word circumcision, the literal word is to cut around. Uh, He's saying the false teachers are cutting off. They're cutting off people out of the kingdom of God. They're cutting them out of the kingdom of God because they're teaching heresy. They're teaching ungodly things. They're teaching works-based salvation. So they're cutting them out of the kingdom, all right? He says, no, 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 no. He says, no, we are the circumcision. We are the ones that are in Christ. There is no confidence in the flesh. There is no trust. There is no reliance. There is no pacification, if you will, of the flesh whatsoever. And Paul gives us the reasons, three reasons to why we can rejoice in him. Why can we make our boast in Christ? Why is it we're not glorying in the flesh? What are the three reasons he gives to us? And they are these. He says, we are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit, which rejoice in Christ. And we have no confidence in the flesh. All right. The three reasons are laid right there for us. We are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Those are the reasons. Those are the reasons. But first of all, he says, we are the circumcision. I know that is in, in our day and day today, uh, we just need to, let's just go ahead and just get past that word, okay, for just a minute, all right, and just get past that word and stop thinking about all the things, that ramifications that go with it. But just that word right there goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number 17, where it's talked about with God and to, and to Abraham. But the point being is this, what makes all that possible? What is he talking about? I, I thought that we are the circumcision. I thought that, that Gentiles did not have to be placed underneath that law anymore. What, what, what is Paul talking about here, uh, about this particular word circumcision? Why, what is he doing? Is he trying to introduce these Gentile believers in Philippi uh, to, and put them back under their constraints and restraints of the law? Of course not. Of course not. Or he would have never written Galatians, all right? All right? Read Galatians sometimes and you'll find that that's not what he's saying, all right? We are the circumcision. Uh, In fact, if you went back to Genesis chapter number 17 and verse number 10 and 11, you would find that, that, that there, is a, there is a huge message that's being taught here. And it's not circumcision of the flesh, but it's circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart is what he's talking about. All right? This is a huge thought and really is not, not even, the time that we have would not even be worthy for what, what goes into this type of study. But Genesis 17 is the first place that you, that you really find it mentioned. And even their circumcision was not a sign that you were saved. 
Listen to it. It says, he says to them, he says to Abraham, it says Genesis 17, verse 10, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy, thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of this covenant betwixt me and you. Uh, that word token there is the idea of a sign. It was a sign is all it was. It wasn't a sign. It wasn't saying that you are a you are saved. It wasn't saying that you're going to heaven. It was saying that you were going to place yourself into covenant relationship with God. You're going to place yourself into covenant relationship with God. This comes, becomes very important, does it not? In the book of Exodus, whenever Moses is told to circumcise his sons, and then Moses then instructs the children of Israel to circumcise their sons so they could be put into covenant relationship with God. They weren't saved. It's not what he's saying. Covenant relationship. The blessings from God, the land, the promises, all of that. Understand that when God promised to Moses and to Abraham in some ways too, is that many of the promises were real, literal, physical covenant promises. All right? The Palestinian covenant. It is a covenant that says the children of Israel would own the rights to particular parts that were now called Israel. And, and really, that's, that's a very small little bit of what, they, of what God promised them. All right? So that's covenant relationship. And the sign to that covenant relationship was circumcision. Another sign... Another token that was given to them, if you don't know this already, and I'm not going to talk about much, but is the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath. All right? That was given to the children of Israel as a token, as a sign that they were, the, that they were going to practice this covenant relationship and inherit the promised land. All right? Okay? You know why? You know, Jews don't even follow the Sabbath anymore. Okay? And I'm not trying to harp on Jews or anything, all right? But they don't follow high Sabbath. They don't follow the traditional Sabbath. They don't go to Jerusalem three times a year like they're supposed to do, all right? There's many laws that go, if you want to obey, if you want to, if you want to obey one law, you got to obey all the law, all right? You got to take it all into effect. I am so glad that Jesus Christ is my rest. Amen? And I don't have to worry if I'm going to light a candle or if the water heater's burning or anything like that on Sabbath, all right? Because praise God, I, 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 you know, I don't have to worry about that because Christ is my Sabbath. He is my rest. He is the one I'm resting in, all right? And also, this thing of circumcision is that we're going to find out that it's not only something that he tells us to do, but it's something that God does too. So stay with me here. Uh, so it, it was a token. That's why it was a token. That's why Paul can say this in Romans chapter number two. Listen to this. All right. How do you know it's a token? How do you know it's just a sign? And it doesn't mean that you're saved. Okay. Listen to Romans two. Twenty five through twenty seven. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? 
And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? What is he saying? He's saying that by circumcision, he's saying you have entered covenant relationship with me by circumcising your, your, your boys and yourselves and you still break the law. And you still are not going to listen to, to God's word. You think God's going to be pleased with that? Think God's going to say, oh, you're circumcised. You're okay. You're all right. No. He's telling them, no, that doesn't work like that. Jeremiah even has the liberty to teach. Listen to this. This is truly amazing to me. Is that He has the liberty to teach that God will punish both the circumcised, that is the covenant people of God, and the uncircumcised, those that are not associated with the Abrahamic covenant, in, in, in Jeremiah 9.25, Behold, the days will come, he says, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. All right? Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon, Moab, and all that are most coders to dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel, listen to this, are uncircumcised in the heart. Okay? You say, where are you going with all this, Pastor? All right? You'll see in just a second, all right? That's why he tells them in, in Jeremiah 20, in 9, 23. This is why he tells them in the previous verses, and I didn't read these first, but I'll read them now. Thus saith the Lord. Remember what I said? When was all this lesson coming from? It's coming from 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10, verse number 17 and 18, all right? Let no man, let us glory in what? The Lord. Let us, what is all this message about? Rejoicing in the what? Boasting in the what? Glorying in the who? The Lord. All right? Listen to Numbers. Where do you think, or Numbers, Jeremiah, where do you think that Paul got this stuff from? Do you think these New Testament writers just kind of bluff, you know, just, just brought this stuff out of thin air? No, they, they knew the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, verse number, 25, uh, verse number 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory or rejoice in his riches. But let him, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them that are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Do you see it now? You see it? There, there it is. God says, no, don't, don't glory in your might. Don't glory in your religion. Don't glory in your riches. Don't glory in any of that. Glory in this, that you know God, that you know the Lord. But, uncircumcision, but circumcision of the flesh was not the only intention that God had with his covenant. All right? So we know that in order to enter into covenant relationship with God, with, with God in the, in, with, for the children of Israel, they must be circumcised, okay? But God was not, that wasn't the only thing he was trying to teach them. He was trying to teach them a spiritual lesson. God did not get spiritual when he came to the New Testament, okay? God, you must worship God in, the, in a spirit and in truth, amen? God is a spirit, right? That's what it says, God is a spirit. 
So we, God isn't God isn't just all of a sudden become oh wow the New Testament is very spiritual and the Old Testament is, you know kind of this and that and everything. No, it's just like faith in Christ, circumcision of the heart, like what Moses and Paul are talking about, is something that is done by God, but it's also something. Listen to this: that God holds us accountable to. God holds us accountable too. There could be no doubt left in our hearts that salvation is all of the Lord. We glory in Him. But God will also hold all every soul responsible that does not believe in Him. He will hold them responsible. And He has the right to do so. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 10.16. This is Old Testament. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. And be no more stiff-necked. Don't be obstinate and rebellious anymore. Stop being rebellious. Stop being obstinate. Stop being prideful. He's telling them. And realize your, your, your issue is not a flesh issue. Your issue is really a heart issue. Okay? Deuteronomy 30, verse number 6. Okay? This is where it, gets, this is where it really gets interesting. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. And, thine, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind that thou mayest live. See, it's God. It's God working in us. But it's also God making a demand upon us to believe upon him. To no more be no more stiff-necked. To be no more obstinate. And then in Jeremiah 4, 4, he says it again. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like a fire and burn that no, none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. You say, yeah, but I thought God was mad at Moses because he didn't circumcise his children. Yeah, he didn't circumcise his children. And God was upset with Moses. He was going to kill Moses. They had Moses in a headlock. You remember that? And he's about to kill him, and his wife has to do, do the deed and in a very unusual way, but she does it, okay? And, and, and after it's all done, God is, God is pleased and God is satisfied, and God lets him go. What had Moses done? Moses had not wanted to, he had, he had not entered in with his boys with covenant relationship with God. And he was a, and he was going, and you mean to tell me he's going to be the one that's going to go lead the covenant people of God out of, out of, out of, out of Egypt? You see, God has a lot more, God has a lot more heavy hand on us that are leaders. Us that are leaders. He said, Moses, you can't do this. You, you can't do this. Yeah, you haven't even entered into this covenant relationship with me, with your boys. You expect you're going to go over here and do this thing? That was physical. That was physical. So what does that tell you? It tells you a couple of things. What it tells you, first of all, is this. Is that, number one, that yes, God is a spiritual God, but let us never negate the fact that God still expects us to obey Physical commands. Thou shalt not what? Steal. Thou shalt not kill. Those are physical commands. Okay? So never get on this trip of thinking, well, 
I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I just, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, sorry, ever heard anybody say this before? You know, you ask them what religion they are, what denomination or whatever you are, say, well, I'm just spiritual, you know. You know? Well, everything's not just, everything is spiritual, but in the same sense is that it's also physical. Okay? It is the heart, but what's in the heart comes out in the, can you say it with me? Hands. All right? I preached a whole series of messages on this, all right? What happens in the heart comes out in the hands and the foot and the eye and all the rest of it. Okay? So don't get sidetracked on me here tonight when I'm just talking about the heart. I feel like sometimes that, that happens sometimes whenever a preacher gets talking about the heart. People say, well, you know, they just got a good heart, you know? Well, you know if they got a good heart, if they got a good tongue. Amen? Are they always, are they always cursing and, and gossiping and, and, and uh, putting people down and, uh, and critical and criticizing? Well, there's a problem not with the, there's not a problem there's a problem with the heart, amen. Because you see it because you can hear it in the tongue. God even tells them in Leviticus chapter number 26 and verse number 41. He says in that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and then they accept of the punishment of their iniquity. He's telling them there, he's letting them know that there's going to come a time when you're going to disobey me, and here is the protocol, okay? And the protocol is to humble your hearts. And I would say there's probably going to be a time and place in all of our lives that we're going to disobey God. Amen? And the protocol, the protocol is not to try to slap on some more religion. Okay? The protocol is to humble your obstinate heart. That's another way of saying uncircumcised hearts. It's the same idea. An obstinate heart. A prideful heart. Humble yourself before the Lord, and then what will He do? Lift you up. Lift you up. You see, the outward garb, you know, the, the point being is this, is that circumcision was an outward act that could only take place once, okay? But God is concerned about a heart being right with Him. And you can perform all the outward acts that you want to, and I'm not against that, and God isn't either. And that was my second point with that, with, with, with Moses, is God is not against the outward acts, okay? He told Moses, circumcise your boys. You're wrong in not doing that, all right? I'm not telling you that tonight, okay? Understand where I'm coming from in context of the scriptures, okay? I'm saying that God is concerned with those things. But sometimes people are so concerned about the outward acts that they forget that there is an inward that needs to be also completed, you see that so much, so many times in the outward garb that's in, that's in church services. You see it in the high church. You see it in high church. You see it in the candles. You see it in the, you see it in the, uh, the robes, the crosses, the, the pomp, the, the organs. You see it in the, the high church in, in that way. And some of you might have grown up high church. 
Anybody, everybody knows what I'm talking about, high church, you know, uh, you know, the Methodists, you know, and they're walking down with the, you know, I remember the first time going to my friend's Methodist church, and I was like, what in the world is going on here, you know, what's happening, am I in a cult here, what the hell, you know what I mean, I just had never been to high church before, I didn't really know what was going on, I didn't really understand it, okay, all right, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with walking down the aisle with a candle, okay, there's, I'm, right, there's, there's, I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, okay, but what I'm saying is that, is that people get focused in on that, and that is become, that's what it becomes. And, that, you know, oh, man, didn't we have a good church? I just feel better about myself, you know? You see it in the contemporary church, not just in high church, but you see it also in the contemporary church with their hands raised or just their mere attendance or their loud music. I'll never forget reading, reading a musician one time that was, a, that was in a modern Christian band. He, uh, he quoted Psalm 150 in verse number five, praise him upon the loud symbols and praise him upon the high sounding symbols. And he says, that's the way I like to worship God, loud, you know? And uh, he likes to be loud with his drums. And, and some people think that's it, right? That's how you worship God. That's, I mean, that's when I'm right with God. But that doesn't mean you're right with God. Amen? That doesn't either. So it's, 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 it's all of this. You see it in conservative churches. You see it in the, you know, well, you know, well, it's how long the dress is or how long the hair is or how strict your music standards are or every a man's got to be in a coat and tie and it's all about this kind. And you've got to have all of these things. You've got to have these things laid out. All right? You see it in denominations. You see people say, well, I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm Episcopal, or I'm a Baptist, or my family's been a Baptist for 100 years, or my family's been Presbyterian for 200 years, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, my family, you, know, you got the one, my family came over on the Mayflower with the pilgrims, you know what I mean? You got, you got, you got every flare out there, almost said flame, but you got every flare out there, and that might be all fine and dandy, all right? And I hope your parents came over, your grandparents came over on the Mayflower, all right? Okay? And I hope you worship God uh, loudly. And, 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 and if you want to do certain, certain of those things that I mentioned, all of those things that I said are not necessarily wrong in what they're doing. Amen? What's wrong is like with circumcision, when we take that, we apply all of that as our righteousness. And we say, that makes me right with God. That is what makes me good. That is what makes me okay. All right? But in reality, what it is is the heart. And if you've got a gossiping heart, I don't care if you're playing the drums and holding a candle and wearing a long skirt all at the same exact time, my friend. You can do it all and wear it all and be it all and do it all and, and have all of it, but you've got a wicked heart. It don't, don't, it don't count for nothing. It don't count for nothing. I know that's not good English, but man, it sure does make a good point. Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Again, these teachings are reiterated in the New Testament. For in Colossians 2.11, we read, In whom also ye are circumcised, listen to this, with the circumcision made without hands. Made without hands. See, a rabbi would have performed that. That would have been done with hands, obviously. But he's saying, no, 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 no. The circumcision I'm looking for is that which made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
By Christ working and cutting away at the heart. Praise God, not cutting out the heart. Amen? But cutting away at the heart. There's a place in Psalm 119. I forget the exact quote, but I do know one very small, one small phrase of it. And it says that the evil, their heart is as fat as grease. Has anybody ever tried to cut through grease? Just kind of scraping it, you know? It just gets all stuck to everything. Man, in plumbing, that is the worst smelling, disastrous stuff there is. I hate grease. I hate grease. And you can ask every old sweet woman that you want to, did you put any grease down your, your sink? Oh, no, no, sir, I never put any grease down in there. And you open up that clean out, and there's a wad of it sitting right in there. And you take a spoon, you can scoop it out, you know what I mean? Look like oatmeal. And you say, well, what is that right there? Well, I don't know how that got there. What do you do after you make spaghetti, you know? Well, I just wash it out right there. And uh, yeah, and you do that 100 times and 200 times through it, and grease gets in there. Fat as grease, just clogged. You know, we probably, and we, we've, got, we've probably got some spiritual grease around our hearts every once in a while. And we need God to get in there with the old auger and just clean it out. Just get it off there. You know a bad thing about grease is? Is that you can scrape it off, but it's still there. And then you got to wash it. And you got to clean it. Man, aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus? Romans 2.28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is the outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, don't take Paul wrong there. He's not calling us all a bunch of Jews there, okay? That's not what he's saying there. That's not his point. If that's what somebody gets out of that, they've got the whole idea wrong. The idea is this, is that we are the people of God. We're, we're the children of the Lord, not because we've had this outward, outward surgery. No, we're children of God because of what God has done on the inside of us. But that is not all. Circumcision of the heart points to something greater. That's the second reason. That was just the first reason, all right? The first reason why we can rejoice is because we are the circumcision. The second reason is because of something greater, which worship God in spirit. Now these two, circumcision and the spirit, connect together perfectly. Remember what Jesus said when he said, worship me? He said, worship me in what? Spirit and in truth. Well, where did he get that from? Was that new teaching? Of course not. Even our Lord subjected it on self to the Scriptures, did He not? He says, I did not come to negate the Scriptures, to, to, to get rid of the Scriptures, to destroy the Scriptures. But I came to what? Fulfill them. Fulfill them. That word fulfill there is the idea of fill to the brim is what He did. David even said it like this long before our, our Lord did. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew what? A right Spirit within me, Psalm 
You see, God came to give us a new covenant to bring us out of the old covenant and bring us into a new covenant. As Jeremiah teaches us, behold, the days come in chapter 31 and 30, 31. It says 31, 31, Jeremiah, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the hand, out, of, out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband under them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people." In fact, he reiterates that and explains it more in chapter 32, verses 29, 39 and 40, when he says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Jeremiah is saying this, he's telling them, he's saying that I am going to establish a new covenant. A new thing is going to happen. Jesus says, you don't put wine wine into new wine skins, all right? It's not how it works. If you do that, then the new wine skins are going to burst, right? You put new wine into, into, into new wine skins is what you do. Isn't that right? Yeah, you don't mix, mix it up. Jesus, what Jesus is saying there is simple. He's saying, I didn't come to reform the Old Testament. All right? And, and, that's, and, and, and say what you will about Martin Luther and all the rest of it and everything, but, but one of the things in the, about the reformers is they got the word wrong. That was, they, they did some things right. I'm not saying they didn't, and I'm not comparing myself to them at all. All right? But we don't... We didn't, they didn't need to reform the Catholic Church. Catholic Church doesn't need reformation. All right? They needed regeneration. All right? And he didn't come to reform the law to make the law a little bit better. All right? He didn't come for that purpose. Okay? He said, no, I, I'm giving you something greater. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to actually put the law into its physical practice. See, that's where it goes back to the physical. Jesus put the law into practice because he completed all of it. He did everything. And that's important. You see, there's active and passive righteousness. There's active righteousness. There is the active righteousness of Christ. He lived every single day, every single day upon the face of this earth, a righteous and just person. Active righteousness. But he also was passive righteousness. His his righteousness was passive in the sense that he died on the cross for our sins. And he suffered and he bled and he died for us. Taking the shame and the reproach upon him. And you know what God does in his great grace? Is he takes both of those righteousnesses and he applies them to your and I's bankrupt account. Amen? We're bankrupt. We're in the red. We ain't got nothing to pay God. All right? Nothing. I don't care what you do, what you look like, what, where you go to church at, what label you put on it. It doesn't matter. You have nothing to give to God. You have nothing to give to Him. He has everything to give to us. He is almighty. 
He is all good. He is the one. He is it, my friend. And he says here, he says, we are the circumcision. He says, worship God in the spirit. And a new covenant is going to be made. And that new covenant is God is going to write his laws upon our hearts. You say, how is he going to do that? I'm glad you asked. Because the new law comes with a new, or the new covenant comes with a new heart. And it comes with the spirit of God. You see, you can't answer the question of the new covenant and of God writing the law upon our hearts without the Spirit of God. And where do you get that from? Well, our next prophet, Jeremiah, who's next? Ezekiel. And I will give them one heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they will walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then when I'll sprinkle clean water upon you, Ezekiel 36, verse 25, I skip 20, I skip 20, 20 chapters, and you shall be clean from your filthiness and from your idols will I cleanse you and a new heart will I also give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and I'll put a heart of and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them of course all of that is perfectly culminated in chapter number 37 if you, know your, if you know your Ezekiel, chapter number 37 is the, is the vision of the dry bones right there. I believe there's a couple of different interpretations, some ideas that go with that. But there's no doubt this idea that, that, God, that the vision that God gives him there in the valley of dry bones there is that you've got the valley of dry bones. You've got the bones rattling and coming together. Then you've got the sinew and the flesh coming upon them, but they're not alive, right? Until what? The Spirit comes upon them. The wind. You know what? And this is even proven out in the New Testament. For the Bible says in Luke 17, 21, he says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. It's within you. And then what does he say in John 14? He says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, him will the Father will I send in my name, and he shall teach you all things and bring all things into your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Romans says, For the kingdom of God is not what? Meat and drink. Amen? It's not circumcision. It's not high church, low church, this church, that church, left church or right church. All right? No. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what it is. To whom God would make known unto us what is the riches of his glory, of his mystery among the Gentiles. What is this mystery? What is this great mystery that God has been hiding, that he's now revealing, that Ezekiel kind of alluded to, and Jeremiah talked about, and Moses even spoke of, about circumcising. What is this? It is this. Christ in you, the hope, of glory. That's the mystery. It's God in you. It's God writing upon your heart through His Spirit, His law, and that's God, that is God circumcising the heart. That is God working in the heart. That is God doing something in us. Why am I telling you all of this? It's because of the third point, which makes it really simple now for me to say. And I hope you all have already gotten it. There is no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. 
I have just given you 30 verses to back up a half of a verse in the Bible. Aren't you all, isn't it awesome how the Bible stands behind itself? The Bible stands behind itself, all right? God is looking, obviously, for something more than externals. That is something I cannot change. It is God that does that. God is the initiator. Look at even circumcision. Who's the one that initiates the covenant? And it's God. Who's the one that initiates the sign? Not Abraham. It's God. We are just all lifeless bodies standing in a desert, or even worse, just a valley of just old dry bones. If it were not for the Spirit of God, were not for the Spirit of God. We need new hearts. Amen? New hearts. Our old nature, our old heart is corrupt. It's sinful. It's been rotted by Satan. I mean, it's just been barraged by an, an, an assault of sin and ungodliness. We possess no good of our own. We have no confidence, no trust, no assurance, no persuasion, no reliance, no agreement, no belief in the flesh. Nothing. Without Christ dying and rising again, without His Holy Spirit convincing me, without His Father sending His Son into the world to redeem sinners, I would be hopelessly lost and on my way to hell. Glory to God what Robert Lowry wrote in that song, Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of what? Jesus. Naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Eliza Hewitt, who was an invalid for many years, wrote from her bedside and found a way to minister the gospel to others in the song that we sang, the very first song that we sang, when it says, my faith has found a resting place. Did you hear it? You know what it says? Not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other what? Argument. I need no other argument. That word argument is a great synonym for the word confidence here in 3.3. It's a great great synonym. I possess no confidence in the flesh. I possess no arguments. No arguments. I give up the arguments. You know, that's when somebody gets saved. Amen? Amen? I mean, they give up the arguments. When they stop arguing. Yeah, surrender. I mean, that's where a lot of people are at. They just won't stop arguing. They, they just say, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about God? And this and that and everything. And well, how can God do this? And God can do that and everything. Listen, my friend, it's, it's faith. It's faith. Stop being obstinate. Stop being stubborn. Circumcise your hearts. Circumcise your heart. Let God circumcise your heart. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. Listen to it. It is enough. Man, as, 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 as much as I've just given to you, Miss Hewitt sums it up in two small little stanzas how simple the gospel is. This is so simple. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. The gospel, I mean, I've gone through 30, 35 verses. I don't know how many you've gone through. Different passages all over the scriptures tonight. But the gospel is what? 
Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, 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 but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? The Bible tells me so. It's just that's so simple. It's really, it's really not that hard. I need no other argument. I don't need any other arguments. It is enough that Jesus died. The next time you get into some kind of argument or some kind of discussion or debate or whatever with somebody that's a sinner and they won't believe, there needs to come a point in that discussion that you just kind of just say, you know, I don't know how to tell you all about it. I don't know all the answers to all the questions. And, you know, you're probably a lot smarter than I am. But it's really just that Jesus loves you, my friend. And he died for you. And you're a sinner, and you know that. If you believe on him, he'd save you. If tonight you're saved, you get that. Amen? You get it. He <laughs> just clicks. You understand it? Not hard, to, not hard not to understand. You get it. We are the circumcision. Those of us that are saved. Beware of those false teachers and preachers. We worship God in the spirit. And we have no confidence in the flesh. And because of that, we make our boast our stand, our hope, our vaunting, dare I say, in the Lord, in Christ, and in God, our Heavenly Father, and His wonderful Holy Spirit. Thank God for His wonderful salvation. Father, we're thankful.